Amen. I appreciate Brother Weaver. That is his first time up here singing. And uh, brother, I am I am so glad the Lord brought you all here and what the Lord is doing in your life. It is it is one of those great encouragements to me as a pastor to see what the Lord is doing in your life and the life of your family. I ask his permission if if, if I could uh, uh, tell of something that's taken place going back, I don't know, six, seven months now. Going back when the Lord really began working on his heart, we were meeting each week. And uh, I believe that the conclusion of one of those, we had finished, and he, and he hands me this CD. And he says, he goes, if you get a chance, I'd like you to listen to that. And I think, he, he just stepped out, I can't verify, I think he's about 20 years old. And uh, I, I didn't know it at the time. And I listened to it, and it was a music CD, and it was very good. Little did I know, that was him. Back in Bible college days, is that right? Is that when that, yep, that was from Bible college days. And it had been just about that time, really, since he had sung that much. Is that correct? Am I remembering? Yep, that's exactly right. And, brother, to see you up here singing now, it's just so exciting, but so rewarding as a pastor to see that and what the Lord is doing in your life. And excited for that. And this morning, we actually should have had our third, third or fourth baptismal service in a row. But your pastor forgot. So we will have it next week. And uh, we will have it next week, and then either in two weeks. I don't think that one's quite scheduled yet. We have a man that will be getting baptized next Sunday. And uh, then uh, we have up and coming. I'm excited for that. I think that's in two weeks right now. I'm not certain of that. I think that, that tells you we are going to have a bus parent and her child getting baptized the exact same service. And uh, Also, I need to bring up something I forgot, too. We have... Uh, some work going to be going on in the parking lot, some extra visitor signs. We only got one visitor parking spot up there right now. We need some more. And so Greg is going to be putting in about four or five more so you know when you come in. And those will probably be for Sunday morning. Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, that's not a problem. You can park there. But Sunday morning, leave those open. They're going to be right up top, right next to the one right there. That's where they're going to take place. So leave those open for the visitors. You talking about the wording of it? Well, I'll probably match the sign we have. I think it does say visitor parking right there. So that's probably what I'll that's probably what I'll do with that. But not a bad idea. Um, and then also, we have coming up in October. All right, October. Um, Greg can use some help. He's going to be heading to St. Mary's. And there's some foundational issues going on with the house still that he wants to work on. All the material is already there for this work. But if some of you men would be interested in going out to St. Mary's to help with that, please get with Greg Jacobs. We'd like to get that planned out right now. And uh, again, to help one of our missionaries that are out there. And he certainly could use that help. Um, so that will take place October. See Greg Jacobs for that. All right, I believe I have all that covered. Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse number 11. It 
says, And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. When he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared. And surely this thing is known. This is the same man who would pin in one day. Be sure your sin will find you out. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came and drew water and filled the trawls to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to Ruel, their father, he said, How is it that you are come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. And he said unto his daughters, Where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly do love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, help me to stay true to your word. Lord, I pray that you control what I say and how I say it. I pray that you'd use this to strengthen us and to draw us closer to you. Please feed your people, and, and Lord, help me to be obedient to you. And I do pray if there's anyone here who has never been saved, Lord, I do pray for that conviction and that drawing that even this evening they repent and place their faith in Christ. Lord, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so this evening I want to look at, at Moses, who is just really an incredible man. An incredible leader, all that he went through in his life. A man who would lead a nation. Lead a nation not under easy circumstances whatsoever. We're dealing with more than a, a million people. A man who was real with God. It's one of the things perhaps that I admire most about Moses. And most that I see in other people. When you're so genuine and just real with God. That was Moses. He was a man who we're going to see even today who learned the importance of meekness. And meekness was something Moses had to learn. Meekness is a, is, is a truly important trait tied in directly with humility. A man who served God despite great adversity, great difficulty. So tonight I'm going to look at some some direction from the desert or lessons from failure. The truth is how we handle failure is very important. We will fail at life. And what you do when you fail is incredibly important and will directly affect how successful you are in life. How successful you are before God, even tying into your walk with God. The truth is we need to know how to climb out of the valleys. How to make it through those desert places when it's our failures that put us there. 
to be able to come to a place with our walk with God that we allow God to use our failures in our life. And He can do just that. Turn over with me to Psalm 119 really quickly, still by way of introduction. Psalm 119. Two popular verses in this psalm. Verse 71 and 72. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. The psalmist here, as we went through this uh, several years ago, as we went through Psalm 119, showed how even failure, the affliction he had led him to having a teachable spirit, how God ended up using those troublesome times in his life. Moses is a man who allowed his failure to give him a teachable spirit. Sometimes the hardest thing we do and it's, it can be very difficult, is own up to our failures. The common reaction to failure is usually one of three or four things that take place. Sometimes these things are even taught to do. But they usually fall into one of these categories. Some will simply deny They'll just simply deny their failure. They just refuse to see it as failure. They will deny it, whether they're lying about it, such as Ananias and Sapphira, or whatever the case might be, but just absolutely deny an obvious failure. Another very common reaction is to excuse it. Not to own it. The woman which thou gavest me, It's a common reaction to failure, to excuse it. Another common reaction is to rationalize it. All these lessen guilt. We lose sight of the purpose of guilt. It's an emotion that God has for a reason. Rationalize. Saul was a master at this, was he not? Saul could rationalize away his sin and his failure. Or, another thing Saul was good at, you sort of reinterpret your shortfalls. You reinterpret the failure. You look at it as, you know, you, 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 you view it not from a standpoint of truth, but you sort of reinvent it. You reinterpret how you look at it. The truth is, though, the way to move forward from failure is to admit it. To deal with the guilt. To allow that emotion to hit. To motivate you in a right direction. Not to let it paralyze you. Not to let it cripple you. But it's there for a reason. When we have sin, when we have failure, there should be a measure of guilt that hits. When we get to the place where we own it. There is no moving on from failure unless that takes place, or the cycle will just over and over and over. Winston Churchill, 
defines success as this. He said, success is moving from one failure to another with no loss of enthusiasm. It's interesting, isn't it? Not letting your failures knock you out. Not letting your failures just simply cause you to quit. We're going to fail in life. We're made of flesh. It's how you choose to use it. The direction you allow it to take you. To get to the place where you last, I can own this. I have to learn from this. I have to grow from this. It's not letting it keep you down. It's repenting, owning, learning. Moses was a man. I did not read of his birth. We're all familiar with his birth, I would imagine, who, for the most part, led a very privileged life. I mean, God was in the circumstances of his birth. It really is incredible. We know the story. The ark that his, that his mother had made and puts him in the water and his sister following down with the ark to see what would happen. And then, and then Pharaoh's daughter happens to be out. She sees the ark. She calls it over. There's Moses crying. And, and she pulls the baby out. And Moses', Moses sister runs, hey, would you like me to get one of the Hebrew mothers to come in and wean the baby? And she basically, gave, if you read it, remember, she basically gave her to, to Moses' mom right back. And it would be, a, 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 who knows, I, I don't know, a four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, when she'd actually bring it back to Pharaoh's daughter. And which would have been another difficult circumstance for mom altogether. Think of that day also taking place that she went through. And so Moses grows up in Pharaoh's house, the best education. He would have knew the Egyptian language more than likely because of where he grew up and just knowing what we know historically about that time frame, which we have, we have some evidence of what took place. He probably would have learned another language as well. So he's probably fluent in at least three languages. He knew mathematics. Um, he, he would have known, uh, I'm trying to think of the other key subjects of the day. My mind went blank, but mathematics was one of them. They're common sports of the day that Moses was likely proficient at. Growing up in Pharaoh's house, being privileged, would have been archery. Things like horseback. They had horseback, different horseback competitions that he probably would have known well as uh, uh, growing up in Pharaoh's house. Obviously, would have had all of his needs met. Would have been very privileged. He's in the line for the throne. However, he was a man which I admire greatly because even though privileged, he would put God first, choosing rather, as it tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I mean, so often today, almost the Western mindset is the goal of what Pharaoh had, but, but well, the goal of what Moses had, excuse me, in life. But Moses knew that's not the goal at all. The goal is God. But like all of us, Moses had a flesh, and he had failures, like we all do. In the portion that we read in Exodus chapter 2, within a matter of a few days, Moses found himself from the top of life, the pyramids of Egypt, next in line to Pharaoh, to a fugitive, broke, cast out on the backside of a desert, just like that. Circumstances changed dramatically for him. The truth is, he needed this failure and to learn from it. He needed the desert, is what I should say. He needed Midian in his life. Many times we do too. 
It's all how you respond when you find yourself on the backside of the desert because of failure. So as we read our text, because of Moses' sin, he finds himself sitting at a well in Midian. This is perhaps, I can think of another event later on with dealing with the Lord, but um, with the smiting of the rock, but this is perhaps the lowest point of his life. His world has completely changed. Just put your, he's 40 years old. This is when his life should be taking off right now. I mean, he he appears to have everything going for him. He's getting ready to take off. And here he now, just just in a matter of days, one quick decision, one thing that he did that he knew was wrong and sinful. Now he's in the backside of a desert. His world completely changed. His failure has forever changed his life. It's going to be very important how he responds and how he learns from it. We know, of course, that God has a great plan for his life because we can look back on it. But please make no mistake, God is no respecter of persons. He has a great plan for your life. I mean, don't... Sometimes we miss out, or we just don't, I don't know if we just don't think about it, or, or we, we, we don't consider it. I, I don't know what the word is. But of just how incredible God's sovereignty is. Of, of Him knowing you, and, and still this God, even though there's these six billion people on the earth, that He knows you, and He has something for you. So this evening now, I want to start in a two-part message how we can see some direction from the desert. How we can learn from failure. I want to look at just a few lessons from this and how Moses learned from his failure and the direction he received while he was in the desert. So, we're going to look at, I put them down as three M's. We're going to look at Moses' method, his, his masking and meekness. First off, let's learn. Moses learned from his method. This method that led to his failure. Okay? And he learned from it. I'll give it to you now, then, I'm, then, then I'll come back to it. I think that's how I'll do it today. Let me give the statement to you now, and then we'll support it from Scripture. Moses learned spiritual ends are never achieved by carnal means. Spiritual ends are never achieved by carnal means. Back in Exodus chapter 2. This is when Moses decided to murder the Egyptian. says in verse 11 how he went out onto his brother and looked on their burdens. So he, he was heavily burdened. And that's right and that's good. He sees a genuine need that needs to take place. And he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And look at this. And he looked this way and that way. When he saw there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. 
I, I, he, he's going to have to. He's going to need to learn from this sin. He didn't like the condition of his brethren. He he sought to defend, which is noble and it's right. He knew they need deliverance. They are slaves. It's this horrible condition they're in. He didn't like to see it, and he he wanted to be the deliverer. He knows the treatment isn't right. He knows this is abuse. He wants them delivered from it. The cause is noble. But boy, did he choose a carnal, wicked mean to try and achieve a spiritual end. It didn't end right. It didn't end good, I should say. He knew it was wrong. I mean, notice what it says there, how he looked this way, then he looked that way. Right there, that should have stopped Moses there. I'm, wait, something's wrong with this. This wasn't how to accomplish that end. Again, he saw the burden. He had the burden. He had the right goal, if you will. But boy, did he choose a wrong method to get there. The truth is, the end does not justify the means. He might even have convinced himself at that moment, I'm doing God's work for God's people by helping them. This Egyptian is abusing them. I am tired of it. I'm going to do something about it. But you don't use carnal means for a spiritual objective. You don't use sinful means, especially, obviously. Which is what he did. You cannot sow fleshly and reap spiritually, which so many people so often try. It won't work. We also learn from this, under the same heading still about Moses' method. You cannot manipulate, you cannot scheme, you cannot lie to get what you want, even if it's a spiritual objective. Listen, this can happen in, in, on our, in our circles on different, different levels all the time. I remember being stunned. I remember as I was coming up and growing in Christ and getting ready to head to Bible college. And all of a sudden being exposed to incredibly carnal methods with spiritual objectives. I'm talking about giving kids money to get in the baptistry because they have a goal to get somebody baptized that day. I'm not kidding. You want a dollar? I was already baptized last year. Here's a dollar. We're baptizing you. We got to hit an objective. This is in. It still gets me mad just thinking about it. And and we set that up ourselves within our leadership because we we were, we were promoting carnality. Now, that's a whole other sermon. I'm getting all way off topic here. The truth is, the idea of manipulating and scheming and even lying to try and get you on what you want, even if it's a spiritual objective, these things ought not be present in a Christian's life. And it's amazing at times that those at times that when they do scheme and it actually something happens of it and they thank God for it. Please don't thank God for it when it's been your own manipulation and your own scheme. I remember one time... One time, there's a few here that will still remember this. Probably Rob Wright, probably Brother Bob and Arlene and the Jensen's. We had the fellow at our time who, um, and the Lowe's will probably remember this day, 
we had a fellow who gave it during testimony time, gave a testimony and praised God because he went to the ATM and it gave him like an extra 20 or 50 bucks. And he praised God for the blessing. And I was sitting in the second pew. It had been sort of on that side right there, right behind where Jerry's sitting. And I'm just, did he actually just give a testimony about stealing? <laughs> and he did. It's like thanking God for the A that you got on the test, but you cheated. We also learn with this example of Moses' method, something to learn from this failure that Moses got a hold of, was that the timing in our Christian life and learning to wait on God Moses was not only going about something that was noble with this carnal, sinful method, but he also was not in God's timing. You don't see him praying, seeking wisdom from God. God had not directed him to this. He gets ahead of God. He sees it. He sees a right burden with the right goal, but he jumps ahead of God. God had a perfect plan in place to accomplish the delivering of the entire nation from Egypt. And he got ahead of it and trusted in his own methods, his own scheming, for this spiritual end. Listen, when God is in it, it usually flows. When flesh is in it, you're usually forcing it. Trust God's timing. God is the one who knows today from tomorrow. He knows the future. God knew how he was going to use it and what great way he was going to deliver them. Moses cannot even comprehend what God had in store and how he was going to deliver them. God already knew of the Red Sea. He already knew of the plagues that were going to hit, how he was going to do this, how his name was going to be magnified in the entire land of Canaan because of how he would deliver them out of Egypt. And Moses decided to get ahead of God. It's not unlike Peter when the Lord said, listen, I'm going to have to suffer. There's a cross. And Peter says, be it far from me, Lord. Not thinking. I mean, Peter's goal, in a sense, was right, was it not? He doesn't want the Lord harmed. He loves him. But he wasn't thinking right. Many times us Christians can try and force open doors that God has not opened. Because the cause is noble. You better trust in God's timing. And the truth is, this is where you get into the book of Proverbs. This can be easier to preach than it is to put into practice. But this is where knowledge and wisdom come in. All right? Knowledge is knowing what to do. And wisdom is knowing when to do it and how to carry it out. Let's say, for example, a successful event. Let's say Joshua, who won the battle at Jericho. Let's say he decided, he has a noble end, we've got to defeat Jericho. But he decides, let's march around five times. Let's get this done sooner. He's marching around like the third time, and all of a sudden he meets with his generals. He's like, you know what? They're, they're masking up on the wall. This is going to be problematic for us. Um, I, I, you know, I, what, what we need to do here, what we need to do here is, I think after the fifth time we need to go. I think by the seventh time, they're, it's going to be too It's going to be too difficult. 
But the instructions were seven times. Obviously, if he does it after five times and they blow the trumpets, that wall's still standing. Trust God. Perhaps the reason the walls don't fall in your life is simply because you're not in God's timing trusting Him. David used this wisdom and knowledge that I'm talking about. There's a great example of this with David's life before he became king. Remember, he could have killed Saul in the cave. He could have. He's anointed the next king. He could have had, just like his men told him, he could have had several different ways of justifying that action. He could have said, this is of God. Look, look, he's right here. I am the anointed, the next king. And he kills Saul. But he did not employ a carnal means to a spiritual objective. He did what he should have. He waited on God's timing. And it worked. The truth is, with where Moses was coming out of, with, with the education he had, being gifted and privileged and advantaged, he was jumping ahead of God. We need to wait on God's timing. Then secondly today, Moses had to learn from his method that you cannot use a carnal, sinful way for obtaining a spiritual objective. The end doesn't justify the means. He would learn that. There's also another lesson that he would learn from his sin that took place with the Egyptian. And that is about, that is about masking sin. In verse number 12, he tries to bury the Egyptian in a little bit of sand. It didn't work. It didn't work. He tries to hide the body. Many times we try to hide our sin and our failures with just a little bit of sand. Just sort of gloss over it. It won't work. Again, as I've already mentioned, Moses would pin in, be sure your sin will find you out. He lived it. Moses was learning hiding wrong does not erase the wrong. You've got to own it. Adam tried to hide the wrong when, he, when they tried to make the fig leaves. It didn't work. We tend to think if no one can see it or we just ignore it, it's not there. But it is still there. It simply delays you from getting right, many times leading to removal from the will of God. Throwing sand over it doesn't help. You must make decisions to deal with it. To deal with failure. As the Bible says in Proverbs, to confess and forsake. I can think about when we're, even as parents, when we raised our children. The hardest to work with are many times those who simply try and put sand over sin. Cover it up. Deny it. Instead of saying, Dad, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Very difficult. 
Very difficult to lead and guide. So think what God has to deal with when we're doing the same thing before Him. The key is not to try and cover up our failures, but to learn from them. To bring them before the Lord. Say, Lord, listen, I'm, I'm done with my excuses, Lord. I, I need to get back right with you. Or, Lord, I need, I need your help. Even if it wasn't a sin, failures can come in different forms. So, here's another question for you. What do you have under the sand? What is it that you're trying to cover up with just a little bit of sand right now? Listen, go, you, don't have to come, you don't have to come before me or anybody, but you go before the Lord and you own it. You go before the Lord say, Lord, man, I messed up. I messed up. I'm sorry. Lord, I need your grace. Lord, I need your help. Let me ask you this question. When the prodigal repented and went home, what happened? The father was there. It's sad it took all the way, all the way to the pig pit for that to occur. That it didn't occur when he was asking for the inheritance. That it didn't occur that all... And I guarantee there had to be conviction there. What are you doing? I mean, what, what are you thinking? But when he came to the Father, he owned it. He even said, just, just make me a servant. I, I messed up. I was wrong in this. I got used... I, I have just so messed up. Just, just make me a servant. That's all I want. And of course, the father's response is just incredible. It just, it's one of those parables that brings you to tears as you read it. The response of the dad to the repentant son. Put my ring on his finger. Shoes on his feet. I mean, amazing. Moses, the, I'm going to stop there tonight. We'll continue. Next one's a little bit longer. Uh, we'll get on to the meekness and some other lessons from failure um, here in a couple of weeks. We have Dan Armacost here next Sunday. And we'll go from there. But two of the things we looked at tonight that will help us learn from failure is the method. So often what leads to failure in this case is we look, we might have a spiritual objective in mind. Something that we know that needs to take place. But with our own wicked and sinful as we are, we, t we, we turn to a sinful or carnal method to achieve that end. It's never the right answer. You wait on God's timing and you trust Him. Remember, you can't mask it. A little bit of sand covering up doesn't work. It's not the answer. With heads bowed and eyes closed, Now, this certainly was for Christians tonight, but let me ask this question. If you were to die right now, are you certain that you would go to heaven? 
Are you, are you certain that you truly have been converted? Not that you were baptized, not that you joined the church. But maybe here you're not even certain that if you're to die that you would go to heaven. Because you will stand before God in judgment. He will judge you. The only way out of that is judgment. There's only one escape and that is what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. What he did die for you taking your place in judgment. Is there anyone here say, Pastor, please pray for me. I am not certain that heaven is my home. Anyone here like that? Now just put your hand up where I can see it and I'll pray for you. I won't call you out. Anyone here like that at all? Yes, sir, I see that hand in the back right there. Amen. If you did put your hand up, if you would like somebody to talk with you just about that, about not about this church, but about what Christ did to save you from judgment. If you would like that, you just nod your head at me and I'll send somebody to come and talk with you if you would like that. Would you like that? You can just, he'll just take you aside and he'll show you that and just go with him. All right, Christian, if the Lord spoke to your heart tonight, you come and pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you bless this invitation. Work on hearts and lives, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Page 485. 485. If you need to come and pray this evening, you come and pray.